Okay, and welcome back to Sea Health Live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are, whenever you're joining us uh, for this episode. So um, True Health Live is an episode where we look at hot topics in public health from different lenses and points of views and really get to the core, right, or the truth of what's happening in public health. So I'm Deidre, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Alia. Hi, um, so I'm um, Alia Kumsani, and my background, just a little bit about me. Um, so I did a PhD um, specializing in um, cancer and tumors, uh, tumor vascularization. Um, I currently uh, work at Weill Cornell Medicine, where my role is divided between being a postdoctoral associate in the Department of Pathology, um, and I also work at the Community Outreach and Engagement Office, part of the Maya Cancer Center at Weill Cornell Medicine, and my position is basically um, um, involved in um, being the lead prog- uh, youth program the youth program lead um, at the Office of Community Outreach and Engagement there. Thanks. Shall I go? Mm-hmm. Hello again, everyone. My name is Anushka Gopilal. Um, as I mentioned prior, I have over 20 years experience in the field of public health, um, and that is all combined with um, health policy, community building and organizing, um, and healthcare administration altogether. I am happy to be here. I currently do all things in community and and programming. I love what I do. I'm very passionate about the people that I serve. Um, And so I am looking forward to continuing serving you all and working with these wonderful, wonderful women um, here as my co-host, we're all co-hosts. And so, yeah, and just engaging with you all. Hello, I'm Precious Stepney. Uh, I I have a master's in public administration. My background and I guess profession at this point is executive director of a behavioral health center. Um, My background kind of touches on, of course, uh, mental health as well as juvenile justice and the criminal justice system as a whole. Um, so, yes, I look forward to us kind of converging, you know, from these different vantage points to talk about public health issues. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. So last time we had, um, you know, a really, really robust conversation about what's happening now, right? COVID, where are we now? We came through the dumpster fire of 2020 and dealt with that, you know, that just kind of set everything ablaze. And now here we are. It's March. Um, we're a year out um, from what 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 happened. We started like, yes, we know that COVID, the, the advent of COVID uh, or the COVID-19, I should say, because COVID is not new. The advent of COVID-19 was, you know, the fall of 2019. But when it really hit for us here in the United States, it was March. So. We're about a year out from, you know, the onset of that. And um, so we're really looking at, like, you know, what what does it look like in year two? And then when we say that, it's like, what is the new normal, right? And so some of the things that we've been dealing with here are issues of uh, employment or unemployment and housing. And all of those kind of, like, flow into each other. And so one thing I was thinking about, and like also as we were like having our conversation uh, offline and off air, 
is about um, employment, right? So there's like kind of a, a two, two sides to that, right? It's like two sides to every point. So there's on one hand, those of us who um, have been fortunate enough to be employed, um, and we'll start there, you know, we have been able to kind of shift from that office environment to the working from home environment. And we kind of touched on that a little bit, like what that means and what that feels like, you know, being like, you know, over Zoomed and, you know, over over meeting on the, on the internet and, you know, how that affects not only the adults, but the youth as well. And then we also talked about like, you know, the hours in the day that we are working, like, and like, where's that line of demarcation from um, work life and home life? You know, I think uh, Precious said it last time, like, you know, managing that life life, right? So when it comes to like employment and dealing with um, COVID-19 and kind of looking at how that, how that looks and how other people dealt with that, there's the idea of um, not just being able to work from home, but like where is home, right? So in a place like uh, in a heavily populated city, like where we are, which is like the New York City, New York Christ, New York City area, um, it's, we, we noticed like, you know, I think we, we can all say there was an, a, a flight, right? I don't, I don't know, like a, just a flight from the city where people were really trying to get from under the thumb of like a densely populated area so that you have kind of like a better um, better chance of not contracting something because you're just going, you know, you're dealing with people who are like living on top of each other. Like, you know, we live vertically in a lot of heavily populated cities, meaning there's more um, multi-unit housing than there are single family homes and homes that have yards and that are spread out. So, um, you know, you know, there's people like going, you know, trying to figure out how they can go to the suburbs, whether that be like, um, suburb, suburban areas right outside of New York City, Long Island, or Westchester, or Jersey, or Connecticut, and what that looks like. I mean, for me, like where I live, I live outside of New York City, so I'm actually able to like, you know, go outside and run, and right now where we are, it's winter, so I was still even, you know, before the crazy snow fell, able to go outside and run without, you know, you know, fear of being like kind of running into a lot of people or being in, in places that are uh, heavily populated um, because, you know, people just want to be outside because that naturally happens, right? When you've been sequestered for so long, people want fresh air. So when you're living in an area that is already more suburban or spread out, you know, that idea of fresh air is not is not as, as hard to, to come by and it's not as, as like, uh, it's not so much a novelty. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to like share some of that. So like, what are some of the things that you have noticed, ladies, when it comes to, you know, the employment piece, and we'll get into like, you know, the idea of the unemployment and how that has affected things later. But right now, I want to talk about like the employment, you know, like, and, and that transition from the office to the home office. I can start. Oh, <laughs> so I was I was just gonna comment. It was actually exactly interesting because when I started work, I was really lucky that I started. Um, you know, my contract started in April, and I actually started my new position remotely. 
So I had never actually been in the office physically since, you know, the start of my employment, which is actually really interesting because it was a little bit more difficult and challenging to navigate, not meeting people, having to kind of see them for the first time and introduce yourself over Zoom. Um, so in essence, it was I couldn't I didn't really have something to compare it with. So I kind of I guess I adapted quite um, seamlessly, I would say, Um to the whole Zoom environment and not being in the office, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, since you know, thing you know, things have improved a little bit, and we have been given the option of going in maybe twice a week, you know, on a on a on a on a schedule, uh, why whereby we you know we alternate between us um, all the people in the office, and yeah, I kind of did realize how much I missed you know seeing people on the occasion, you know, you'd bump into someone. Um, you'd say hi, you'd start off a conversation and it really does make you appreciate how, um, you know, working from home can be really kind of taxing, tiring, you know, you don't have that um, the ability to kind of touch base with people, connect. Um, so yeah, I mean, having the opportunity to go in twice a week uh, or once a week um, has been, you know, a nice, somewhat a nice balance to just being at home and sat you know behind a computer screen but I understand not everyone has that opportunity you know not everyone can travel in um you know not every work space uh, you know facilitates for that um but yeah so it's it's been interesting for me owing to the fact that I you know started out uh you know being working remotely so yeah an interesting experience I'd say um so I'll just jump right in Honestly, um, I I kind of love working from home. <laughs> um, it's it's a pro and a con, right? Like everything, it's a pro and a con. Um, and so I do miss meeting new people in travel. I miss being that engagement, that face to face, because I'm very much a, a people's person. I love to interact. I love to talk. My daughter tells me all the time, "You like to talk, mom." <laughs> but I I just love that human connection. Um. And, you know, being face-to-face -face is, is different, right? It's a different feel. Um, you laugh a lot more. You really get to get to know people better. Um, I must say, though, working from home has allowed me to really take back um, control of over my time. And, and it's really helped me um, really see where I need to focus on um, and what I should give my energy to and how to really prep my day um, for it to work in my best favor and, and be where I can um, be fulfilling and do the things that I need to do at my full capacity, um, but having the control of over my time. And so for one, it's helped me save a lot of money <laughs> because I used to drive in and I would drive in from Queens <laughs> and then I would go like from work and sometimes I would head um, to Westchester, to Valhalla. And so that was like a lot of commuting for me in doing all the things that I got going on. <laughs> and then, you know, um, but definitely I, I, I just, I found a really nice harmony from working from home, um, being able to like step out, get some fresh air when I need to, or the peace and quiet, um, because for myself, I work well when I'm by myself. I literally used to stay in my office at the end of the day, and I got a lot more done 
after hours <laughs> than I did during hours. Because there's always those like, you know, a meeting here, a meeting there, unexpected email, and it's like urgency throughout the day. Um, now I don't find so much urgency, but I find more in-depth work. Um, mm-hmm. And so really being intentional about how I move throughout the day, um, being intentional about setting time for me to get away from this screen, because uh, I have found myself for eight hours straight, no break on the mm-hmm. uh, on the laptop, you know, and that's not healthy. Not healthy for my eyes, not healthy for um, just my whole well-being. Um, but I have I have to admit that I do enjoy it. I enjoy it because I'm able to enjoy my space at home and still work. Um, and not work to pay this this the mortgage slash rent and barely be home to enjoy my the things that I have and with my loved ones. Um, so that piece really means a lot to me. Um, but I I look forward to seeing a really nice hybrid go, getting back into the office. Um, so like we have all seen now that you know. We don't necessarily need to be physically in an, in our offices to get work done and to move things along. We're able to, and especially speaking um, as a woman, like, you know, as a woman who plans on having another child, like, if I don't feel well, mm-hmm. that means I can stay home and still get things done. You know what I mean? It just gives us different perspectives as how we can move um, and how we can still accomplish our goals without physically having to be in a building. Um, and just us mentally knowing that, okay, you have to just now make an effort to engage with people. And if that comes naturally to you, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> but um, that's just my take. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll round it out with being one of the few who have to go in to work. Um, even with that, even with being, you know, identified as essential and, and leading uh, a workforce um, during, during, the, the real scary part, and, and I will say that would be March, April, May, even June of last year, um, I was forced a, as a leader to consider how I can make people feel safe, right? Because everyone isn't, even though we were all essential working in a hospital system, um, everyone isn't direct in direct contact with patients or delivering patient care specifically. Um, and so what we had to do is make a distinction between um, those back office staff, um, particularly when the whole initiative regarding, you know, the governor's office um, instructing that all state office buildings close. Um, so then there, we, we kind of looked at, you know, well, with density reduction, when it was really about reducing the propensity for a viral infection or or passing things along, how can we manage um, that? Um, And so what we came up with is making allowances for folks to work remotely or um, a protracted um, work week, Um, in some cases, a a more compact work week, so that you want, you know, the one benefit of having a, a hospital is it's 24 hours. So the business office staff don't necessarily have to be there from eight to five or 8 to 4.30, perhaps if you want to come in at 3 and stay later, that that could be an option that's explored. Um, So again, I think it went back to innovation and really moving outside of the box to ensure health and safety. Um, For myself and my leadership team, there was a great concern about just 
we work so closely together. If one person goes down, the whole leadership team can't go down. So based on that, there were measures put in place where everyone does at least work from home a day or two a week. Um, and personally, that, that's been really refreshing because, you know, on that day, while I'm still working from home, I can engage with my children who are doing remote schooling um, and also really identify ways to make virtual work from home more engaging because mm. for the most part, I was in the office when maybe the back office staff were at home and I didn't realize how boring <laughs> the experience would be. You know, there's a challenge to keep us engaged. Um, just so, so yeah, I think coming up with tools to, 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 um, have more fun while being at a computer um, and just, you know, everyone's face in this box became the challenge. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been it's been interesting, I think. Uh, and, and for me, I think that the you lose something when we're not meeting face to face, you know. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits and we can control our flow, but there's something about energy in a room that that speaks volumes. Um, and you you lose that when it's just video screens. Um, so so you have to pay attention more keenly, um, which makes me think about telehealth and how, you know, when you're meeting with a patient face to face, you can you can sense and feel and intuit what what may be happening versus how much more you have to pay attention when doing that assessment virtually. So, yeah, pros and cons to everything. Right. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because I remember, like, when we first came on, I was just like, I don't like this at all. I, there's no there's no separation. And then I guess, like, the more and more I settled into it, I was like, well, I like being able to just go run, you know, in the afternoon and just kind of head out, like, go get some groceries or, you know, take a meeting while I'm in the grocery store, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, and I, and I have done that, you know, just, like, so I can, like, kind of do you know multitask which we know is a farce but you know I still for some reason like try I, I fall into that trap um but yeah like I so so yeah I think it's like you said um precious editors because it's the pros and the cons um and coming to 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 just be with it and that's I guess that's what we get back to like the new normal right so I figured out how to I think all of us we figured out how to operate in this new normal um, to the point where it's like, I think you mentioned something about like, you know, what does the, the work plan look like? What is the, the remote working look like? Right. And so now I'm in a situation like in um, my office where when we do return back to the office, it's not going to look the same way that it did before. So there's probably going to be some um, um, establishment of, protocols that allow for working from home and alternating the staff and the team at the office, right? So that's what we're looking at right now. And part of me is like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. You know, like, you know, I'll have those days. Um, I remember um, even like before I was in the organization that I'm at now, um, for morale purposes, a previous um, job, they had instituted like a, a work from home day or not even a work from home. It was like a day off. So you would actually work four days a week and you would get one day off. And it was so like, I, I can't even describe it. It was awesome. Like, you know, <laughs> so you don't have to. So like you, you kind of have that break in the middle. So 
it's almost like returning to that, but like with like this gray cloud hanging over your head. It's like, all right, when is COVID gonna go away? Right. Um so and, and I think I guess, you know, it's it's much like um I did like a I sometimes do these little shorts on uh YouTube and I was talking about like, you know, the kind of history of pandemics and I was thinking like, you know, the last time that we've done this, which is, you know, it's not news to anyone. But the last like big pandemic that we had was the Spanish flu in 1918. And I keep wondering, like, well, I guess, like, you know, this is maybe what it was like for them, like people who lived through that during that time. And they were thinking, like, well, when is this over? And eventually they, things did turn, you know, I wouldn't even say return back to normal, but eventually things did calm down and people were used to their new normal, which I'm sure after that was like, you know, getting flu shots and things like that. So things are instituted and they become, you know, just the culture, which is how you do things. Um, and you get used to it. And then you just have like the generations that are born after. It's just like, you know, this is what we do. There is no knowledge necessarily unless you're studying history and you're learning history. There's not like a uh, an experience of what was done before. They're just reading about it. So, you know, some years down the line, um, people will be reading about what we did and how we had to get used to, like, you know, remote working and, you know, what that looked like for us. Um, but, yeah, so then there's, like, you know, to, to kind of shift gears a little bit, there's the other side of that, you know, which is the unemployment. And so we know, unfortunately, what COVID did was really increase the unemployment rate because... Um, and it was like a number of things. It's like the the um, domino effect, right? Because everybody's quarantined in place, you have to close businesses. Small businesses could not afford to, um, and even some large ones, but small businesses could not afford to be closed like that and not make revenue. And so what happens is they have to close down, revenue is lost, and if they do have employees, people lose jobs. Um, and so we know like thousands of people hundreds of thousands of people lost jobs and so and like I said that even happened for some major companies um a big one in New York City Century 21 done kaput um even after surviving 9-11 they're just gone and 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 for someone who used to like shop like a like something was wrong with me you know that was just like what what no Mm -hmm. you know so you know and 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 imagine they had um you know, satellite stores that that were more than just the, the main um, flagship in New York. They had stores in New Jersey. So all of those jobs are gone. So you have people, not just those who worked in small businesses, but people all over who unfortunately lost their jobs. And that means, what does that mean? That, that trickles down into, okay, well, how am I going to live, right? Because most of us are working to make a living so that we can pay for the other stuff that we want to do. And one of the main things that we use to pay, pay, one of the main things we pay for with our money is housing, right? And so if you're not making any money, how are you going to pay your rent? So there's like, there, now we move into like the rent story and like housing and what that looks like for people. So we know that there was um, a moratorium put on like eviction so that it could protect people, um, you know, while this was happening. At the same time, there's, two sides to every story like as we've been discussing like throughout this entire um conversation and even in the last one there's always the two sides to every story and not only um is this affecting people who have lost their jobs and can't pay their rent but then what happens to those people who are landlords and maybe they're not a big company but they are landlords and 
now they are not they are able to pay their mortgage. So that like had me thinking about like the CARES Act and like you know what that looks like. And so like as we were discussing before, like offline, um, we see that there are like a few different um, pieces to the CARES Act, right? So there's this part that helps individuals. So that's your 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 you know John Q resident who maybe got laid off from his job and is collecting unemployment. So the CARES Act actually allows for you know, a stipend of some sort to, you know, help to pay for expenses. And then you have uh, small businesses and there's the the grants and loans that they can apply for. Um, and even like the big corporations or larger businesses. Um, I know a lot of people were applying for the, the PPP grants and things like that. And I think some individuals were applying for those as well. Um, but you have those and then there's, you know, what is allowed for big corporations. And in all of these, there's, you know, all the rules and stipulations that apply depending on who, what, what uh, status of applicant you meet, right? Like whether you're an individual, small business, big corporation, state and local government, or, you know, and then what is there, like just in the kind of sphere of public health. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to like, kind of like touch on like the housing and what that meant. And, um, and maybe take it to like the personal story. So we know there's this overarching thing of like housing and what that meant for people. Like, you know, are we going to be able to keep our apartments? Are we going to get kicked out? Because even when COVID ends, what does that look like? Is my landlord going to just like try to get me for all of the back rent that I owe? You know, you know what, what's happening? And a good story time for that, um, you know, I've been one of those people that's been fortunate enough to, to have the means to um, pay rent, you know, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And I do live in a, a multi-unit um, uh, building. And um, so um, our uh, management company, they actually give us receipts. You would think that they would like email them, but they have since like moved to like a digital electronic kind of way of uh, communicating. But um, while we were still in the throes of the pandemic, you know, they were still kind of getting there. So they put like the rent receipts, you know, whatever it is, if you owe, you feel old, if you haven't paid, or if it's your receipt, they kind of slide it in your door. And so um, we got one of these the door and I opened it up and I was just like, and, and, it, and it was like back rent for like $10,000. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? And then when I actually looked closer, I realized that they, um, the address wasn't mine. It actually stuffed the wrong um, receipt or, or notice of uh, balance due under the wrong door. And it actually was the one of the apartments like down the hall from me. And I noticed like how much it was like back in rent. And I was just like, that right there, just seeing it. It's one thing to like talk about it and, and kind of hear about it, but it's a whole other thing to see an actual dollar amount and what happens when people are unable to pay. And it was just like, yeah, like, and this was like maybe five months worth of uh, five or six months worth of rent and this and 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 it was just a reality and it's like this is horrible like you know if you if you don't have the means then you know what kind of stress does that put on the person then because it's like I don't know if I'm gonna be kicked out like yeah there might be a moratorium but like we don't know when things are going to be lifted so what does that look like for me you know once everything is done and over so for me, that was like a really, you know, just kind of in your face wake up call. Like, yeah, it may not be something that affects me, but you're, I might be surrounded 
by people who that affects in a really like adverse way. So like, yeah, like what are some of your stories? Like what have you noticed? And anybody, you know, Precious, what about you? Hmm, what have I noticed? Well, um, I think if I, I think about the perspective of some of my staff first, um, you know, there was an opportunity for us to, well, pretty much when we had to begin to do temperature checks, right? So there was a moment where their light bulb went off, aha, in order to ensure, you know, the viral trend, well, in order to degree to decrease the propensity for viral load transmission before we were able to um do in-house testing, we needed to ensure temp checks at every entry point. Um, so we needed to retool staff because you need staff to do temperature checking. Um, I thought there was no way in the world that we'd be able to, even through overtime, to cajole staff. But when we started speaking more about it, what we realized is that while we're in the bubble of, you know, being fortunate enough to have a job, um, you know, so many were being impacted with the reality of unemployment. Um, and so families were deeply impacted by this, so much so that it's like, yeah, I, I want the overtime because my mother is no longer working and my maid is no longer working. And, you know, and maybe a relative has had to move in. Um, and so in that case, it's, you know, it, it's a real sobering reality that while I may say, well, oh my gosh, not only am I working, which I'm fortunate, but I have to go in every day. But the, the, the other side of the coin is so much, much more challenging to really have to manage through. Um, I think from the housing perspective, um, so being in the suburbs, um, I've grown an appreciation for the, the fact that I can still get outside and I can still have, you know, fresh air where my children can, can get some semblance of fun while they can't in, maybe engage with their friends as they had in the past. Um, they can still have something. Um, and I do consider, you know, what that reality is for us that are in a more densely populated area. Uh, also happening, you know, I happen to be a, a landlord as well. And so with that, there was a lot of angst about, oh my gosh, what does the CARE Act say? What does the CARES Act say? Okay, so people don't have to pay rent if they're unable to. Um, there was lots of concern there for me personally. Um, and thankfully, you know, my tenants were able to mobilize and independent of any consultation with me, identify tools that they were able to, to use. Um, there was one, I don't recall the name, but I know it's a part of the CARE Act where a portion of rent is paid for them. Um, and so I think through programs like that, um, the stress is lessened for all, right? Because, you know, something that isn't spoken about as loudly um, as the more of the, uh, the Western approaches is the fact that just stress in and of itself represses our ability to fight off disease and infection, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we hear a lot about this when, and I know definitely um, Alia can speak much more eloquently than I, but I think we've all seen, whether it's in a movie or in real life, fighting cancer in particular starts with your mindset. It starts with, you've got to know you can beat this first and foremost, 
but it goes way beyond that. You know, it's every day. How are you? The, the weight that you're carrying and how it's impacting your physical has so much to do with your propensity to be vulnerable to disease. Um, so, yeah, I, I think these programs like the CARES Act, while, you know, on the surface, it's like monetary relief. I think if we dig a little a, a little deeper below the surface, it really helps to manage stress. Um, and so for that, I think we're, we're I'm, I know I'm grateful in all the ways that I can help, you know, and, and do that for others and, and personally. Yeah. So what about you? So, um, yeah, it, one thing that really strikes me and stands out in my head is I was, um, a few months ago, you know, watching the news, I try to not to limit myself because it's just so much coming at us. But I did see um, the coverage on a landlord in Brooklyn. He was an elder um, person. And when I saw him, I just thought of like a grandfather figure. And um, he was at risk of losing his, his building that he owned for like, I think, over 20 years. And it was very saddening watching that and hearing his story because I often like I, I you we were all we're thinking about like the tenants because we can relate um but then again like thinking about and and not thinking about the large um the larger companies who who have like you know management companies and so forth but thinking about just like a more a person who happens to own just a building or a home or, or whatnot and he was at risk of losing that um because no one was paying the rent and so the the relief was on the tenants, but what about the landlord? You know, what about the small, you know, the, the smaller landlords, like the, not not the big corporations that own all these multiple big buildings and luxury buildings, but the the, the person who has worked all their life or whose family has has um, built this throughout the years and it's been handed down generation to generation, um, especially when it's like in the community that you've grown up in, that your parents grew up in, that your grandparents grew up in, and now it's at risk of all being taken away. Like that really touched me and that stood out. And I I ha actually was in a, a conversation and also worked on a study um, about the impacts of COVID in the community. And I spoke to a few community leaders and just folks who are, um, you know, hitting the pavement, so to speak, um, during this time. And a lot of like, a lot of concern came out of housing and the stress part, the mental health, um, health and, and wellness that was going on emotionally and how people were dealing with that because thinking about how am I going to pay the rent? And if, you know, I am covered by, you know, by this new law and the CARES Act, what about thereafter? Like, how do I come up with this money thereafter? Because now I got to play catch up. And if I'm not working and I cannot afford it, and when I finally do start working, you know, the, the prior priority is going to be that I, I tend to my, myself, my loved ones, right? Let me get, let me get home in order and let me try to rebuild. But now as I'm rebuilding and get back on my feet, I have this big debt, like $10,000, $15,000, you know, whatever that the number looks like, how do I even chisel away at that? You know, so here it, it, it's like a stressor on top of a stressor, you know, and so you may be relieved, but that's a temporarily relief, right? Um, it's not long term. And so that just causes so much internal havoc in somebody, you know, um, 
and that's something that's very concerning. Um, and I think, you know, programming is awesome. But what about the folks that don't know about all these programs? You know, if I don't, if I'm not aware, then how can I, how can I apply? You can't, you can't, right? Because I don't even know it exists. So how, how do you get this information? Because sometimes I do feel like it's, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And it's like, what are you doing? This money has been allocated to, to fit this need. But what happens when folks don't know that it's available to them? Then what happens to that money there? Where do you offset it to, right? So share that information. Share it with people so they know and so they can t- get the support that and the resources that they need and that they, they deserve. Because at the end of the day, how do we keep how do we keep it all going, you know? If we if if we can't do this, how do we thrive? How do we overcome? You know, um, so I just believe like people should get the information. And if I don't know, then I can't ask. So be more willing, more upfront about putting it out there, um, and not just like blasting it on the news. Because at this point, I think people have disconnected from the news. You know, um, find other ways like community forums. So if you a, a community talk and have someone represent a particular agency and and talk talk about it. Um, you know, there are all a whole bunch of agencies are, are in the tri-state area that can speak to it. And again, if people don't know it exists, they can't ask the question. Sometimes you just have to be forthcoming um, and educate. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth because I'm like, what we're hearing more of is from the tenant to landlord, right? The lower, mm-hmm. you know, that first level, the first line. But we're not hearing really much about the middle line. And I'm calling like maybe the smaller landlord, as you pointed out, like the middle line, because the big corporations, they have lawyers to kind of figure out all the little loopholes and things that they can do to figure out how to keep themselves afloat. That's not who we're worried about. It's those middle line landlords, you know, like Precious, you know, like that have property um, but you're not a big corporation and you are you are also working like everyone else. And, um, you know, I was reading this article. Um, I think we all read it about um, halting evictions isn't as good as it sounds like, it, you know, and it may seem something that's good on paper. And it's because that's what we hear on the TV. Right. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, landlords are going to do this. And that's all we uh, I'm sorry. Um, the federal government's going to put in, you know, a moratorium where people don't have to pay rent. And it sounds good. Like, that's like a good soundbite. And that's the headline. But the reality is there are different um, um, protocols that have to be put in place. Like, you know, the article really points out that there are three prongs of, like, federal assistance in order to keep renters, landlords, and local economies going. And it's, you know, making sure that checks are sent to people. So we kind of see that, like that cash assistance in the CARES Act where there was a stimulus check, right? You know, we know that part of the CARES Act is, you know, people are getting like that stipend and that continuous assistance. But then, you know, there's the one-time payment, right, that people were able to get. Then you have to like offer like um, low-cost loans to to support the small and medium-sized businesses. Um, And that's including property management and maintenance firms. And then finally, like um, providing flexible grants to state and local governments. So those are things that have to be put in place. And even in those, there's like so much work and scrutiny that has to go into that because now we're looking at, um, you know, budgets. And, and, you know, and in some cases, depending on, you know, how large or small your business is or how large or small your municipality is, it's like Robin Peter to pay Paul. Like anybody that has ever had to do like work with budgets, it's like, okay, well, how if, if and if 
how much is this whatever assistance is going to get me and how much do I really need? And then can I take from this line to put into the next? Like, you know, there's so much that has to go into it. And it's really interesting that, you know, on on the front line, a lot of the times we're like, well, why can't they do this? You know, and I've been that, that person. Why don't they just do this? On the other side, there's that other piece of me that knows about budgets and knows how that works. And it's like, well, you can't do this unless you do that. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if you need a little bit more money for, you know, running a media campaign, that means maybe we can't go to, you know, present at this conference that requires some travel. Right. Or maybe we can't get, you know, the nicer incentives to give or giveaways to give to young people when we're doing events like something will suffer somewhere so something has to get cut and you know that's the reality that I think a lot of people don't understand so and in the same lines of like that middle line um um landlord there's there's that piece that people are not necessarily paying attention to because the noise that we're getting is always just that soundbite and whatever that frontline information the you know I guess the the, the oligarchs or the the media uh, oligarchs want us to know so yeah, like Alia, you, you have any story time to share about the house? Yeah, so I haven't been in the US for such a long time. But the thing I have noticed is that, you know, being based out in the suburbs and, you know, with people wanting to move out of the city, it's become, rent has become at a premium. And, um, you know, there is the taking advantage of that aspect to the point where we, I was kind of surprised that we weren't offered a decrease in rent. You know, given that the amenities that are offered within our apartment building were closed, you know, the communal areas, uh, etc. So we, uh, you know, myself and my husband were just wondering, you know, we, we inquired, is there going to be any decrease in rent? Um, and we were told no. So and they were even building, you know, a second um, building, you know, full of new apartment buildings to accommodate for the people that are moving out to the suburbs. So. But then when we would go out to the mall, for instance, it was so surprising to see like so many businesses, you know, having their little signs up on the on the door saying, sorry, we've had to close, you know, um, really, really like in eye opening um, to the point where even some of the people that used to work in these, you know, um, companies would, you know, they'd, they'd go off on their own and try and kind of come up with a small, you know, alternate business. Um, and you could see that people are really struggling, even in, within the building as well. The turnover, um, you know, people across, the, you know, the, the corridor from us, we would see people moving out, um, you know, workers. You wouldn't see the same people working anymore. There'd be, you know, so many, so, so many changes happening. So you could physically observe. And, and like you said, Deirdre, you know, it, all of us are fortunate enough to be able to kind of, to, to have been able to cope without, you know, having been hit tremendously hard in such as the case, you know, with other people. Um, but it's it's been really interesting to observe um, and how, you know, the lower wage um, industries have been really hit, um, people of colour especially. Um, and you just, you know, you begin to sit back and think, like you said, uh, Precious, about the stress that people are under, especially people with children. Um, you know, you, you can't, I can't begin to imagine how much stress these people are under. And, you know, we all know that, you know, the stress response can, you know, elicit, you know, inflammation, which is, you know, one of, um, you know, a major contributor to disease. Um, so there's, yeah, like you said, the, sh- the stress being, you know, p- being put under that immense stress, you know, how are we meant to take care of our health? On one hand, we meant, we're told, you know, 
you know, you need to be, um, you know, make yourself less vulnerable, do things to kind of um, help your immunity. How can you do that when you're, you know, you're, you know, literally uh, being told, okay, you know, I can't afford this. Uh, I've been, you know, laid off. Um, my ch- I won't be able to tr- pay for my children's schooling. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to provide, you know, enough food on the table. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's absolutely like, overwhelming to just just sitting and imagining what people some people have to go through um and have been going through throughout this period um so yeah like i said um yeah rents seem to be you know at a premium here landlords big companies especially are taking advantage of that i mean i can't speak to the whole landlord situation but my, i know my family back in the uk also a number of them are landlords and a number of them have complained and said you know the tenant is now refusing to pay. Um, and it's like, well, we understand that they must be under stress, but it's also the landlord who has to kind of, this is their, you know, their means of, um, you know, their income. So there's there's that aspect to think about as well. And the stress of, oh, you know, is the tenant going to pay? Are they going to just sit there and refuse to pay and say they're not going to be able, you know, they're by, by law, they can't be evicted. What do you do in that kind of a situation? It's It's really challenging. So it really even though I myself hasn't, haven't faced any of those kind of difficulties and challenges, I can just begin to imagine, you know, how, how bad it must be for other people. Yeah. You know, like with the, the lowest um, 20, the poorest 20%, you know, well, first let me back up. By what, what if, you know, we're supposed to spend what 30% of our income is supposed to go to rent and, but how many people are really doing that, right? You know, um, I think it's the, the the statistics on it's like you know the the poorer twenty percent in the country are actually spending more than half of their rent, more than half of their income on rent, and so it's like then even after you pay rent, like the next thing is like making sure that you can have like food. You know, those are the food shelter, food and shelter are like the basics. So if more than half is going to shelter. And you have, and if you have children, as you pointed out earlier, it's like then you have to make sure that the children are taken care of, and then and then part of that is making sure that everybody can eat. But like, do you even have enough funds to like do all of that? Like, because food, food clothing, shelter. Sorry, I left out one. Food, clothing, shelter, the basics of everything. And you know, if you're you're if, if more than half is going to rent, how much do you really have for the rest for the clothing and the food? You know, and then, like, again, we're going to get it all into, like, nutrition and the things that happen around food and how that kind of dynamic traps people into eating in certain ways, too. But, yeah, I think you brought up a good point about, like, you know, the stress process, you know, and how that all has, like, a trickle-down effect for how people can move throughout their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump in with some insights regarding the the, you know, some of the benefits, right? So while I definitely kind of, you know, was very nervous about the moratorium on evictions, I think the the the, the health leader in me kind of appreciated that there needed to be a way to ensure that people were not being put out on the street in the middle of a world health pandemic, right? Um in a fashion by which they're either winding up in the shelter system or even more densely packed into the homes of their relatives. So I think it's a real it's a real delicate walk, right? And, and I know several of you are in um, policy 
And this is where the the challenge lies. There's always this tightrope walk, right? You're always having to, and I know, Deidre, you mentioned even balancing a budget, right? There's always that, okay, we want to put more money into this, but who are we going to take it from? Um, And so I think this, this idea of the moratorium on evictions is just that. It's we want to make sure that, you know, viral transmission is, is, we put a lid on how can we, how is that going to impact property owners? Um, and then how can we make sure they feel safe? And I think some of what the CARES Act did was enact measures. And, and I, and I don't know, you know, whether there's anything, I'm assuming there's something similar in Europe, but there are measures put in place for those who cannot, you know, pay their mortgage to, to, to do different things, to freeze payments. Um, in an in an effort to kind of not feel um, that there is this you know requirement to pay what you otherwise could not pay. Now with that, does it remove the stress? No, because it's ingrained, right? What 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 do your your grandparents tell you? Like, okay, you get a mortgage and you pay your bill. You get a good job and you pay your bills. Like it, it's that fundamental. So to be in a, in a reality where we are now you know saying well. If you can't pay your bills, there are these other options. There's this 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 um, umbrella that you can come under. It's almost like okay, but then what happens? You know, because then you're thinking every month more. Like your your neighbor who unfortunately was you know in receipt of that ten thousand um, dollar rent bill. Um, it's kind of like at some point you've got to pay this thing. And so while it's not today, when and how will I do it, particularly if I'm unemployed or if I'm a property owner, particularly if you can multiply that by three? You know, you owe $30,000 because if you're in the New York or tri-state area, your mortgage payment you, you, on average is three to $4,000 a month, right? Mm-hmm. So it, we, are, we are well beyond 15 months into, into COVID. So it, it's, it's, you know, if we do the math, um, it can be quite debilitating. But what we have to trust is that um, the system can implode. Yeah. And, and we've seen that with the with the mortgage bust um, in, uh, in the early to with the early 2000s, 20, like 2010. So it's like there ha- there will have to be another iteration of something where both the the folks are not just placed out onto the street, but where property owners still have what they need to move forward. So I think we'll move slowly into more of what we're calling this new normal, right? So yeah. I want to offer some some balance to that because I'm like, yeah, well, viral transmission and living conditions, and you don't want to push more people into the hospital by way of evicting them. So, right. So, yeah. It takes yeah. its really a lot of thought leaders coming together and being vocal and intentional about how a plan comes together. That that's really what it's going to continue to take, you know? Because there it's it that's too I think too many people are just unaware of how systems work. And I think like, you know, this is exactly what this platform is for. It's getting to the core of these things, which is explaining how some of these systems work. You know, um even myself, I had to like kind of like kick myself. I was like, I should really 
teach my team, you know, what a budget looks like, you know, kind of give them an in-service and show them this is what happens with a budget. Because they, you, you'll even have people who work in a given field, but they're not really clear on how the systems are working and how this reports to this and why this functions this way. And, you know, there's a lot of the times, like there's multiple reporting structures. Like I may work for an organization, yet I have several different um, entities to report to and that's based on like the grant. And so that kind of works the same way when we're talking about, you know, support systems that are put in place. And to your point in this, but like people not knowing you know, what's there, you know, maybe because they're not getting the information or because they don't know how to fill out the paperwork or they don't even know where to start and, you know, or they can't read it, um, you know, and just acknowledging all of those things, you know, or like, like to your point, Brush, it's like just not, just not knowing, not to say that they can't understand it, but just not even being aware of like what the system is and like how it, like the, the nuts and bolts of how it works, right? And so I think even this housing conversation can go like even further, like, you know, not even necessarily related to COVID, but just even how, you know, housing works. Like, as I said, how the, all of that fits in with like where you live kind of affects like how you eat sometimes, you know? So I think, you know, we'll definitely get into all of these different topics. Um, but I think, like, you know, this was like a really good powwow to kind of, you know, uh, think about and, and listen to some of the, like, our own story times today about, you know, how COVID um, has affected, like, employment, unemployment, and housing, and how we've seen that personally kind of play out in our own, you know, kind of walks of life. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, you know, next time we'll be talking, we'll, we'll get into it. I think we're going to still keep that theme of COVID. One of the things we're going to talk about, we got to do it, ladies, is the vaccine. You know, the vaccines are out. Um, they're coming. And, you know, it, it, I think it's a, a hot topic to talk about. And so we'll definitely, like, get into the core of what that means. Um, you know, um, what is herd immunity? You know, um, what are the misconceptions that people are having of vaccine? You know, what does that look like for um, specific populations, pregnant women? What does it look like for people who um, have men who are dealing with mental health issues? You know, what does that look like for people in general? Where do you go to get vaccinated? How do you even think about scheduling that? You know, how is, how is it being um, distributed? How much is left? You know, and all the things that, even the crazy things that we've been seeing on the news and kind of how that affects how we even process and think about, you know, vaccinations and what that looks like. Thank you for joining us here at True Health Live. Remember to like, save, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment and send an email if there's a topic if you want to discuss. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at True Health Live. You can also listen on DeidreSully.com. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss or hear, you can send an email to truehealthlive at gmail.com. See you next time.